The following is paid for by the Coalition for a Better Hollywood. For decades, Big Movie has had Hollywood studios in their back pocket. They spend millions to get you to spend billions on movies that are nothing more than sequels, reboots, remakes, reimaginings, Oscar cliché and January releases. Big movie lobbyists have all but ensured original film ideas are ignored, forgotten, or maybe not even real. Are they feature films? Are they quality flicks? Are they real motion pictures? You're soon to be, if not already favorite movie podcast stands with the little movies. Help put an end to big movies cinematic censorship and listen to the pop-up film cast every Tuesday wherever honest hard-working podcasts can be found. We are the pop-up film cast, a proud member of the Podfix network, and we support this message. You want to talk about Bo Burnham some more? Can I just I'm, do that? I'm always willing to talk about Bo Burnham. I actually do want to talk about Bo. I, let's let I want to open it up talking about Bo Burnham. Okay. And inside, just to follow up. I don't want to do a full like follow up episode, but I thought I thought we'd follow it up. Uh, <laughs> you know, I bought the soundtrack album, and I've been. I I didn't know you bought it. Yeah, I did. I bought oh. it. I bought it as soon as it came out. Um. That's awesome. I bought it and I've been listening to it and I had to stop myself from listening to it because uh it was keeping me awake at night. It just the Oh wow. The the beats, the the everything. He's a great producer of music. He really is. He really writes earworms. Uh he yes, he writes and produces like good pop music, but I want to talk about uh Funny Feeling. Okay. Just as a folk song. I want to read this uh, one lyric that just, Ian listening to it time and time again, a, a different lyric pops out at me every time as being like a particularly like genius lyric, right? Yeah. Um, and it's all of these contradictions in our society. That's what the whole song is. All these weird pop culture things. Carpool Karaoke, Steve Aoki, Logan Paul, a gift shop at the gun range, a mass shooting at the mall. And that thing came out at me this week, that last part. A gift shop at the gun range, a shooting at the mall. Like, it it is such a mirror, fucked up image of uh, gun culture being, oh, come buy a souvenir with your gun. And going to a place that is for shopping, and that's where the shooting is. Like, it is just such a brilliant lyric that is... Uh, it is on par with a John Prine lyric, and that's high praise. I, you know, I'm a giant John Prine fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, any great song, Bob Dylan, Tom Waits. I, I could see any of the great songwriters writing a, a song with a lyric that clever and that poignant and that timely. And this is my, this is my burn with it is that Bo Burnham will never get credit for being a great songwriter because he's coming from the comedy world. Right. That funny feeling is a very, it's, it's not a funny song at all. It's not. Uh, and, and this is just a, a brilliantly written folk song about this moment in, in culture and how sad it is. And I'm like, this deserves way more uh, accolades than it is ever going to get. And I think that's, I think that's a shame. Bo, he writes, uh, like, he gets to the point. 
There's there's another lyric. Uh, but that... he gets to the point in a really poetic and artistic yes, way. Yes. It's not just that he's not just saying something. He wrote the most clever lyric I've heard in years. Yeah, he he didn't write people shoot up malls like Right. Yeah, it, I, it, it there's really, an imagery there. Yeah, there, there's another one about uh There's there's uh, one I wanted to point out. Go ahead. Uh in the song Turning 30, he says uh when my dad was or when my granddad was 27, yes. he fought in Vietnam. When I was 27, I built a birdhouse with, with my, my mom. mom. <laughs> yes. Like, and it, it right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a really like, that's a funnier song and they're funnier songs, but they still have these really, uh, poignant, serious lyrics in them that are making a serious point. Even if the lyric is funny, like that, that's a very serious point about like what being 27 means today, as opposed to being. 27 in like your grandfather's generation you know what i mean right like, it's it's very yeah, different right i mean we're on the verge of father's day and it's hard for me to think of myself as a father still because my father was very much a grown-up y- you know what i mean <laughs> are you not a grown-up i don't feel like i am a grown-up like in the way that my dad was uh i say was like he's not here anymore but, uh, like, I always viewed my dad as a full-on adult. Right. Even though he was not much older than you when he became a dad. I, I, I mean, he was just very... And so it, it is like this this weird, like, putting a pedestal under the generations ahead. But really, they were doing more adult, but, you know... I mean, fighting in Vietnam in your 20s is totally different than most 20s. I'm not saying better or worse. I, I'm not. It, it's it's not. But it, it is just like it, it's a weird. It's the way the culture shifts it, almost for sure. And it's a it's a it's a great encapsulation of like the generation gap. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, that's all I wanted to say about. It. I, I I bought that album, and I think it it's a it's a weird thing because a lot of the songs are really short because they're just like little jokes for the special. But right. there's a lot of songs that I think work without having seen the special that are just because the the better songs like that funny feeling or turning thirty or uh, all eyes on me or something like that uh, in the special they're just kind of music videos so the songs kind of stand on their own you know what I mean right they're not like. There's other songs where, like, there's one uh, song on the album where it's, like, him talking for most of it. And then it's just, like, it cuts in with, like, right three seconds of him singing. I can't remember what it's about. I don't about. remember which one it is either, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it even has, like, the uh, the unpaid intern song, which is just there to set up a bigger joke in this. Like, yeah. Like, that's hilarious because it cuts off at, like, 20 seconds. It's just, like, a 20-second <laughs> it's snippet. It's just the of intro of a song. <laughs> it's, it's really great, but... Uh... Let's just make this episode Bo Burnham Bo Burnham Part, part two. 2. Yeah. yeah. Inside, inside number 2. Um, but, yeah. That's it. That's, All right. That's, that's what I had. Do you, you have anything else on the sound? You've been listening as well, right? I I Spotify or whatever. Did I, you? Yeah, on Spotify. Although you were, not, you were finding them on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Before n- that. Now I'm thinking that maybe I should buy it to support a rich man. I guess. I mean, but look, like, I it is something that I enjoy, and you should support artists. Again, I mean, you want to talk about generation gap? I buy music. I even downloadable music. I I 
I like to buy it. I don't know why. It's an old habit uh, because uh, a lot of times I'm not connected to Wi-Fi as well. So streaming is, mm -hmm. you know, expensive on the data plan. So I, I just, I buy music a lot of times. You know, Dad, we, we could live in a mansion if you weren't just throwing, throwing this money, money away. away. I know, I know, yeah. <sighs> no wonder iTunes is a... Or Apple is a trillion dollar company. Cause... No wonder we can't afford a microphone in this podcast. It's just shouting out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, neighbors, if you're hearing yeah. this. Thanks for your download. Hello and welcome to The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I am Phil Rude. I'm the dad. I'm Austin Rude, and I am also the dad. What? To a cat. I hate so. that cat. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, good luck uh, squeezing a Father's Day gift out of him. I He brings me dead bugs sometimes. <laughs> it's very sweet. I know. Uh, anyway, we run a podcast, don't we? Oh, but, yeah, we do. What do we do on that podcast, Oz? We watch movies, and then we get on mic and we talk about and it. And exact, that's exactly right that's right and we're so good at it we are getting worse <laughs> by the week anywho uh what have you been up to i was gonna ask you that oh would you would you like me to go first yeah go first okay uh let's see i finished watching the simpsons season eight and i guested on zang this last week uh the episode is out right now it is a three hour long conversation uh, breaking down episode by episode of season eight of The Simpsons. I would say three hours is long, but for a whole season, that's really not. It is, it, yeah. And I, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a marathon episode. It's probably best listened to in sections. Like, pace yourself. Is there an interlude? There's a lot of nerd Simpsons talk on there. It's, a, it was a lot of fun to do though. It, uh, Berg and uh, Zenger are both really great to talk to about just. You know, getting deep with what are our favorite jokes in this episode, you know, like, and just, <laughs> just laughing about, you know, Simpsons lines and, and remembering some of the, the classics, like, where'd I get the bowl, Bart? Where did I get the bowl? Like, uh, <laughs> all these kind of things. The, um, there are Simpsons quotes that live in infamy. Yeah. Infamy yeah, in yeah, our house. Ab absolutely. That's and, one of those. And, and yeah, it's, it was great to uh, break some of that stuff down. And uh, also, I've listened to, as I said before, Bo Burnham's Inside soundtrack a lot. And I started watching Sweet Tooth on Netflix. Ooh, that's the comic adaption, It right? is based on the comic book by Jeff Lemire, uh, which I also... I, I'm enjoying the show, uh, but I, if you are watching it or are curious about it, I also can't recommend that comic enough. Uh, my buddy J Mac loaned me those comics years ago. It's a it's a great great story. Jeff Lemire is, I think, one of the best writers. Uh, his art is um, unique, and some people don't like it. It looks very basic. It's very scratchy. I think it's it's very stylized. Some people it takes a little while to get over that hump. I kind of enjoy it. And uh, I, I feel that way sometimes. But overall, it's all focus on the story that he's telling. Like, the, I, I think he's a tremendous writer. 
uh, first and foremost. Right. And I also think he's a tremendous artist, but if his art isn't to taste, don't worry. He's still telling a great story. It's worth hanging in. But, right. Uh, that was actually, I had that problem with uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. I I couldn't get into like the first issue because it was just, I was like, what is this art style? Sandman switches artists a lot too. So it is it is sort of like, if it's something's not to taste for you, like you can kind of ride that out and it'll be another right. artist in like I, I never knew yeah. that at the time though. Right. So. Yeah. No, I get it because some of those, some of those, uh, arcs i'm like and i haven't read a ton of sandman but what i've read i'm like oh this art's cool oh this one not so much you know it, it's just right it's all depends on taste so but that's been my week what do you uh what do you got for us what have you been up to uh not much my work years over it's the summer nice i work at a school so it's pretty nice i get the summer off school's out for summer that's right uh watch this movie some doctor who other than that not much yeah yeah all right light week that's, for you yeah kim's convenience that's still going still, on still uh still hanging that's in stuck with, that. with me yeah yeah good. good i've not checked back in with that but i should hmm I guess so. It's not a over. I, I just, you know, I've had a busy week. I You've just, moved on to the Simpsons. I see how it is. That's right. That's right. <laughs> this just in. Phil Rude hates Canada. <laughs> that's right. My Canadian prejudice is showing. <laughs> All right. Uh, outside of that, we both did watch this movie. Sadly. Ouch. Sorry. Oh, spoiler alert. And this movie is the 1993 action crime drama True Romance, wherein a loser and his sex worker wife steal a suitcase full of cocaine and head to L.A. to sell it before the rightful owners of the drugs catch up to them. This film stars Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Michael Rappaport, Bronson Pinchot, James Gandolfini, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, Saul Rubinek, Samuel L. Jackson, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, and Val Kilmer as the ghost of Elvis. This movie was written by Quentin Tarantino and directed by the late, great Tony Scott. So many names in this. So many. This is a murderer's row of a cast. I love this cast. That This many huge names were brought together. And a lot of them are just playing these small roles that are just amazing. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is in this for like three I, yes. seconds. <laughs> this was very early in Samuel L. Jackson's career. Um, this is right around the time uh, Jurassic Park had been out a couple months before this. Uh, Goodfellas was a couple years before this. Coming to America was a couple years before this, which was... And Coming to America was like his first film role. He plays the guy robbing the restaurant that's okay. it he has like one scene and so it's like he's he's one of those guys that when you go back now that now that everyone knows who he is you go back and you're like oh my god he's in so much shit in these little roles he's almost never the main character or like any of the main characters he's he's always a supporting yeah actor like just a guy going through the the thing and i i wonder kind of if this is why uh if this kicked off 
his relationship with Quentin Tarantino because he's in like every Tarantino movie. Yeah, uh, isn't he one of the lead characters in Pulp, Fi- Pulp yep. Fiction? Uh, Pulp Fiction would have been uh, the next year, actually. So when this released, he was probably filming Pulp Fiction. Interesting. I think he's in every Tarantino movie except Reservoir Dogs, which would have been before this by maybe a year. Really? It's either before this or, or right around the same time. Because... Uh, that was Tarantino's first movie he directed, but he didn't direct it. He wrote this, but didn't direct it. Okay. So it's a little... This is early days. Very early days. This was, I think he wrote this first. I think this was his first screenplay. But it was just sort of like floating out there, um, not produced yet. Yeah, I don't know if he couldn't... Uh, I don't know if he wanted to direct it himself... And they wouldn't let him because he was too new. Uh, so it became a Tony Scott. Uh, I have heard that he did write it the way he writes all his movies where it like jumps back and forth in time. And that Tony Scott was like, no, nah, we're not. We're we're going straight through. And, and he just made it a linear movie. Probably. Which I think works. I can't imagine how time jumps would work in this movie and be coherent. It's a very simple plot. So. Exactly. I don't see much reason to do it, but... Um, Strange. Yeah. Hans Zimmerman also did the music for this. Uh, right? Zimmer, not Zimmerman. Oh, so that's not the same person as uh, Inception and all that? Hans Zimmer is the Christopher Nolan guy. Did Okay, yeah. Is yeah. it him? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Oh, okay cool. I just pronounced his name wrong. Uh... Yeah, I, I noticed that in the credits, and I thought it was weird because I was like, "There's no bomb." <laughs> it's it's very light and, and bouncy and yeah. all of that, but uh, yeah. Um, what it? Uh, I I'll start. I'll start. I brought this movie because uh, when I was about your age, uh, this movie was pretty new, and I discovered it, and I watched the crap out of this movie. This was. <laughs> I, I think a super fun movie. I had a big love for this movie. I have not seen it in a long time and uh, wanted to revisit it. And I am happy to say that it has mostly held up. I do see a lot more cracks in it than I did uh, when I was younger. But All I right. still think this is a really smart script. And I... I like Tony Scott as a director, or liked Tony Scott as a director. Um, you can still like someone who's dead. I, well, okay, I, I like it. Uh, even his movies that I don't like, I think Tony Scott has a directing style that is, it's flashy and kind of over the top, but for whatever reason, it it works for me. In the same way that, like, Everyone makes fun of like J.J. Abrams and his like lens flares and shit <laughs> like that. I'm like, yeah, fine. He uses lens flares. It doesn't bother me. Like, it, it like it, this, it's very over the top in Star Trek. But yes, but right, it is. I'm, I'm I, not for the I'm most not denying part, that they're there. Not. But I'm like, okay, yeah, it's a lighting choice. It's a it's a it's a stylistic thing he does. And and Tony Scott in a lot of his movies has these weird filters he puts on things and 
and just these weird cuts and edits. But I didn't notice that in this movie. Not a whole lot in this movie, but when you figure out like, oh, this is Tony Scott. This is like early 90s Tony Scott. He's coming off doing like Top Gun and Days of Thunder and all of these uh, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer projects. And you're like, yeah, this kind of makes sense. This kind of looks like a Tony Scott movie of that era. And, and I like it. I think this is a good collaboration between a a good stylized script and a good stylized director. I don't know that Tarantino this early in his career would have made this movie as well as Tony Scott taking his script and making it. I this is interesting cuz it's my first Tarantino movie. So I don't I don't have a reference for his directorial style. Like I've seen like clips of Kill Bill and right. stuff, but like I don't know. I I can't analyze it on that front. Well, uh, and, and I'm just going by like by in this time, uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs are really good, but they're very, they're not as, um, they're stylized in a different kind of way. Like I feel like Tony Scott does a really good job of showing like Detroit is this kind of cold and dank place. And contrasting that with California being the bright and exciting and alive place. You know what I mean? Like, right. And just these sort of things uh, that are, I don't know, he's not doing like cool zoom-ins and and he's doing his own kind of thing. It's like realism. With this. And, and really the Tarantino part of this is the script and it comes through the most in the dialogue. The And, and I think it really fits the character he built in Clarence who only speaks like a movie character because that's the only way he knows to try to be cool. I'm jumping ahead. Okay. What did you think of this movie? Uh, I think this is a weird, confusing mess of a movie. Wow. I Not plot-wise. I just don't know what I'm supposed to get out of it. I... Parts of it, like, I feel like on an individual scene basis, everything works. But I feel like there's no one likable in this movie. Clarence... There are no good guys. You're right. Clarence feels like a different character in different parts of the movie. And I don't get him. (laughs) And I just, I, it infuriated. There's a weird race thing that bugged me. There's some weird race stuff in this, yeah. But it's not like, oh, this person's, like, it's just there. Like, I feel like it doesn't serve a point. So, this is a weird movie. I think in some places the race thing, uh, well, in one scene in particular, the race thing very much serves a point. Um, And the rest of the uh, time that race is brought up, I really think it's just sort of in service of Saying like, uh, yeah, racism exists. These cops are racist. These gangsters are racist. You know, like these, and and just sort of like saying, yeah, in the world, race exists. And we're dividing these groups of people between like, it's Italian mafia. And the cops are going to use slurs against Italians. And, you know, they're going to use slurs against black people. And 
it, it's just sort of like a, a cyclical thing. I know it is a weird, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to watch. I'm not going to but, even deny that. But it's not uncomfortable with like a polit a political message or like a social, it's just there. It is just there. And it's, so leave it out. I don't like it because I, this movie is a fun, dumb action movie. And I liked that part of the movie. I, but then. But that's what, that's what the movie, my, my argument for you saying like, this movie doesn't have a point. I would say that is the point. The point is, this is just a, an, an action crime movie. But then it tries to be more. What is it trying to be? I don't know. This weird commentary on race. I don't think it's trying to be, have a commentary on race. I think the race is just, it is a, to, to say a layer of character through most of it is too ambitious. I think it is just saying like, uh, like when the Italian, the, the gangster who doesn't speak English. Yes. Is behind the couch and he shouts something in Italian and the black cop goes, uh, the guy's, uh, and then he, he uses a Italian slur. And it's just like, you're not wrong. It seems so unnecessary. Oh, I, I didn't catch that because I didn't know what that word meant. Oh, that's a, that's I, a, a slur for, for okay, a, yeah. an Italian. And um, yeah, that is just like a, oh, that seemed, that seemed unnecessary. But it's also like, I could also see like a, a cop using that slur as like, oh, these are gangsters, you know, and, and just saying, oh, that's who we're dealing with, in in a in a weird way. It doesn't bother me. It is uncomfortable because it's always there. Uh, I'm gonna go to the scene you're probably talking about, and that's the Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper scene. Yes. Okay. This scene I'm gonna defend because I think it is. One of the best things Tarantino has ever written. And I think it does serve the purpose here. I, can I first just say, like. It's uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm not. not, But like, I, this isn't a character moment because up until then, like, we've been on the dad's side. So like, it's, it just strikes me as very weird for him to just come out with, out of the left field with this totally racist rant that, like. I don't get it. Okay. The whole point of that scene, and I don't even think it points to the dad character, Dennis Hopper, being a racist. What he's trying to do is piss off Christopher Walken. He knows he's going to die. And he's like, what is the best way I can tell this guy to fuck off? What's the best way you can get under a racist skin is to say... You are descendant of the race that you hate. Who, no one said that he was racist it's before a pretty, that. Uh, it's a pretty easy conclusion to make that uh, psychopath mobsters who are fighting for the drug trade with probably other gangs of different colors and different ethnicity are also going to be racist. I think it's a pretty, like in Sopranos, in uh, Goodfellas, in all of these movies, there's a pretty heavy, like, understanding, like, oh, yeah, these people are at least casually racist against black people. 
So mm. it is just sort of like, uh, and and then there's the ethnic pride of he's like you're Sicilian, and he's like so so Sicilian, so proud of being full blooded Sicilian. So the best thing he can do to undercut, and I, I'm not defending racism at all. My point of this movie is this of this scene is it's great because it's a fuck you to racists. And I think that this is something Tarantino catches a lot of shit for using the N-word in his movies a lot. Tarantino reportedly grew up in black neighborhoods. He went to, you know, black schools. He he's, has okay. black actors in his, you know, and I don't know if he gets the N-word pass in real life, but his characters say it a lot. But he also does this fuck you to racists. He does it in Django Unchained. And I think this is... He does it in Django. It's so, so great. It's so awesome. Uh, and I think that's the best case of doing it since this scene. That whole scene where he's just setting up Christopher Walken and, and just selling him this lie. And he knows, even after he gets shot in the face, that Christopher Walken is going to wonder if he's partly black and it's going to bother him. For the rest of his life. And it is just such a genius way. To go out with a giant fuck you. To the man who killed him. And and is going to hunt his son down. And I, I just. I don't know. There's something about that scene. I think it's so. It's a, it's a great piece of dialogue. It's a great fuck you to racists. And it is a great uh, performance by. Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken. I think I think it's a great scene. I'm I'm gonna have to watch that scene again then, because I I read it as totally different. Like I don't think Hawkins Hoppins whatever Hopper Dennis Hopper yeah. Dennis Hopper whatever. I I don't I don't. Uh, it's entirely possible that Dennis Hopper the, is also a racist who casually uses that word. The, no, no, it's not the usage of the word. It's the way he acted it out. It felt like, like, I read it as like, oh, he's trying to, like, be funny and, like, distract him or something. Like, he's buying time. I He was, I think. He, it did not come off as a performance that's like, this is a fuck you. No, I think that's exactly what it was. That's I, that's the only way I've... It, ev- it wasn't played as that. That's the only way I've ever read that scene, is is that this is him saying, uh, as soon as he goes, um, you know what, I will take that cigarette. That's him having his last cigarette and using his last moment to tell this guy off in a way that is going to hang with him even after he's dead. He knows he's dead. Like... That, like, just that's a foregone conclusion for him. He's like, they're either going to torture me to death or they're going to just kill me outright. Uh, but uh, this this is how I'm going to go out. And it's just a um, it's a it's a, essentially I, I brought up Django. I think Tarantino kind of recycles not the scene, but the, the energy of that scene. And he has Christoph Waltz deliver a monologue about. Uh, uh, who's the French uh, author? Dumas. I don't know. It's and it's it's the same kind of thing that he kind with of with the eugenics scene. Uh, it's it's not a eugenics 
uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, DiCaprio is like way into like French culture and he basically busts them trying to free Django's wife. And so he's sitting there talking about Dumas, uh, Christoph Waltz is and and he's like, oh yeah, he's great. He's brilliant. And you know, after DiCaprio's given this whole speech about how black people aren't as smart as white people because their brain cap, you know, and he's using all the pseudoscience. Uh, and then he goes, uh, yeah, Alexander Dumas is black. And, and it just, it's the same thing. He, like, okay. They know they're cornered. They know they're fucked. And he's just like, I am going to blow this guy's mind on my way out. And it's, it's the same energy from this scene. Okay. And I look, it's an uncomfortable scene to watch. I'm not, I'm not. It's vile. It like it, is. it left me with this gross feeling, and I had already been like aware. This movie makes you aware of race. One of the other scenes uh, that pissed me off before this was the gangster scene with the like the guy who thinks he's black or like oh he uh, yeah Gary Oldman. Okay, I didn't realize that's who that was. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I knew he was in this movie. I was like, I don't see him. Exactly right. Gary Oldman is awesome in this movie. <laughs> well, okay, I, I don't like, I don't know what that was trying to say about race, but it definitely... Which which scene? What are you talking about? The, the gangsters, like, just in general, like, the Samuel L. Jackson scene. Oh, where he... he... Steals the drugs. Yeah, yeah, that part I got. Like, the plot point, but, like, just the, like... That's all it was. There's this weird fixation on race there. I mean... Right. Well, they're just black people using the N-word. That's not, like, inherently racist. But, like, uh, it's the... This is a white guy who thinks he's black. Right. And who's gonna call people the N-word and... That's... I'm, like... What did this serve? There's just so many unnecessary things in here. That this is the this is that the... it's like, and it's not. What bugs me is it's not Quentin Tarantino's place to talk about that stuff. I don't think he's talk. I don't think he's making a commentary on it. Then leave it out of your movie. But he has to. This is what. All right. This is what Tarantino does, and you can take it or you can leave it. But it's what he does. Is he is going to show you a plot point? The entire point of that scene was to say Drexel. Blew these guys away and stole their drugs. And that's how he has all, all the cocaine. It's okay. Just, it's just a, a, a way to show you the cocaine in play before Clarence gets it. To understand that he has it, why he has it. Tarantino is not going to just show you that. He's going to build a scene full of dialogue that tells you who these characters are. I was looking for uh, uh, shots to, to do the artwork. Uh, of, okay. of the movie and I found this um, this article about this movie and it said this is uh, this is great Why? It, it was something about like I don't remember the name of the article I'll have to find it uh, but it's like what Tarantino does is he makes every character count every every character in his movie is a person they're not a shell. These aren't just anonymous gangsters that Drexel knows. These aren't just bagmen who are carrying. They show you. They're having a conversation. They're bullshitting like friends or or people who hang out 
would be bullshitting, especially puffing chest out, wanting to show you're one of the boys, wanting to show you're a gangster, even though you're a white boy with dreadlocks. Like, that's what he's going to do. And so what are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about women. You're going to talk about, you know, all of And yes, it's all in there. He's not making a commentary on race. He's making these characters ridiculous as they are. Drexel is a cartoon character. He's ridiculous. He's a clown. But he's a fully fleshed out clown. I guarantee you know that guy. You've met the guy. You've met the white guy who thinks he's black and thinks he has the N-word pass and thinks that he's a gangster even though he's 100 pounds soaking wet and can't really do anything. Like, these are people who exist in the world and Tarantino, I understand it's not to everybody's taste. If you don't like this movie, I can't hold it against you. The thing is, like, I can deal with, like, one or, like, it's just that there's a pattern here and it irks me. Like, they, there's, like, gay stuff in here, too. Like, Yeah, he, there is. Yeah. Uh, he calls people fags and, uh, like, there's little, like, oh, you're gonna, like, little gay jokes. Just, like, oh, you're so gay. Isn't that funny? But, like... I'm okay with that because that's like, okay, that's a brief, like, character moment. This person's an asshole. Right. But I, with the race stuff, it's different because it's so, like, it takes up a big chunk of this movie. And I just don't get the point of most of it. I. On an individual level, each scene works. It's just all together. It's like, you're painting a picture here. I don't like the picture. And like it, it, re- it reflects poorly on uh, Quentin Tarantino. I I don't know. I I don't know that it does. I I'm not. I'm not suggesting anyone use that word in real life. I'm saying this is a film. These are fictional people, and these are fictional people who are painted in a specific way that he writes these characters. And if these characters use these words, if these cops are homophobes, who the best way that they have to flip a a guy covered in cocaine is to threaten him with being sodomized and calling him uh, uh, the F word over and over. Right. That's funny. That's there's something to that. It's just why is that funny? And and black gangsters throwing the N word around is isn't realistic, isn't character moments that are fleshed out. No, it's more like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm white and I'm just, like, worried about race. I'm like, oh, you can't do that. You can't, like, and it's not black people saying the N-word. That's not what bugged me about that scene. It was the the white guy pretending to be like them. And yeah. I don't know, it felt like that's Quentin Tarantino. That's, uh... Writing this story. Like, not that he... Th- no, I he's think... like, look at these people, aren't they dumb? But he's doing the same thing, thinking he knows about race. I think Quentin, well, I don't know that Quentin Tarantino doesn't know about race. And Quentin Tarantino has always had uh, prominent black characters. He's always had uh, a, a diverse cast. He's always had, outside of this movie, I will say, this movie is lacking in women. With the one girl in the movie. But typically, he has a lot of women uh, 
front and center in his movies. I, I will say Alabama is a well-written character. Do you think so, really? I think so. I'm very surprised to hear that. I didn't think you would think so. I liked her, and I liked her badass fight moment. I, I liked I, her. I expected you to be super angry at me over that scene. When I saw that scene and remembered how brutal it was, I go, oh, Austin is going to absolutely be disgusted. No, I, I was more like... Uh, when they were talking about eating out women and like, that's so, that's so gay. Like what? That was, that was more misogy- misogynistic than a woman uh, getting the crap beaten out of her. I was just like, and that's a character moment again. And I'm able moments. to pass that up. Right. I think but I, The character I think. moments are fine. It's the, I don't know. It's like when the movie's trying to make a point about race that it doesn't land with me. I don't I'm think like, this movie is ever trying to make a point about race. I think that they have characters who, I think Drexel is a white guy who tries to pass him. She says, uh, uh, Clarence says, is he, is he black? And she goes, no, but he thinks he is. He tells everyone he's part Apache. And it's just like, this is a guy who wants to be ethnic so badly. And he just, it, you know, and it's, right. it's all of the things that he goes to the brothel and he's eating Chinese food. Like, you know, it's like he wants ethnicity he's wearing like kimonos and shit like he wants ethnicity so badly but he's just a skinny white guy who (laughs) needs an enormous man to actually do his dirty work for him except for when he has a shotgun but like that's what makes that character work is i get a sense that drexel is a guy who is a wannabe and he does use the n-word and none of the black gangsters he hangs with cares because they're just like this guy's a clown he doesn't even know he's a clown but he's a clown and that's that's what makes uh gary oldman by the way gary oldman who is unrecognizable as drexel is like this is how good i think gary oldman is i mean i bought it before gary oldman started playing commissioner gordon he just straight up like disappeared into whatever role he was playing makeup wigs Granted, there's there's heavy makeup in that. He has like this weird scarring on his face yeah. and the dreads it's, and the 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 one bad eye. That yeah, he has like it, it's great. He's but like he played Sid Vicious before this. He played uh, Dracula like two years before this. I didn't know what Gary Oldman really looked like until uh, he, he was in Batman Begins, and he basically is him himself. Looks like himself. Because he was always like under makeup, and under, it was like this really theatrical way to act in film. And I, I love Gary Oldman in this because he just has this little role, <laughs> and this guy is such a clown. He's just—I don't think this guy is to be taken seriously at all. And that's what makes him work—is just all of his like shit talking. Okay, I see. When you break down each individual thing, it's like. I get the point there. Keep in mind, I've seen this movie like a million times. I I get the (laughs) point that the movie's trying to make in the individual scenes, too. It's just all of it together. It's, it makes the movie, how can it not be about race when like half of the scenes are dedicated to race? I don't think, are half of the scenes dedicated to race? I think maybe like a quarter. I, it's a big chunk of this movie, dad. If you break down the, (laughs) the, the like minutes, I guarantee you like... The amount of scenes that mention race are probably more than the ones that don't. That's really strange. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. I 
I don't know. Well, let's talk about an aspect of, not an aspect of race. Um, because I honestly, and I don't know if this is white guy me talking, uh, or just being oblivious, or just that I interpret things uh, differently as I'm watching them uh, as a way of like not taking them seriously. But I didn't notice that much. There are a few scenes that very, very blatantly are about race or mention race or mention uh, homophobia. And I, you know, yeah, that's absolutely there. But I would, I would never think of this movie as like a racially charged movie because I think most of the scenes that mention race uh, are are have the point to them, like the like right. the like they, the breakdown. They there. have something else going or, on always. And and I know this is a weak excuse to a lot of people, but like it was the early '90s, and you know what? I don't care who tells you that people didn't throw the f word around as an insult, but people did, and it was in movies all the time. That's not an excuse for calling people fags or no, whatever. No, I'm, I'm aware. Like, but that was just a thing in movies. Like, yeah, let's let's gay panic this guy into giving up his boss. You know, like like the whole cop scene of, of breaking that down. And you're right. That is hilarious. Not the not the actual <laughs> insult itself, but just how, how much Elliot gets, like, broken down by... It's like, by, oh, dear God. <laughs> when he's covered with cocaine and the cop comes up to the car... It's just the funniest damn scene. That ever. was great. <laughs> but let's talk about uh, you. You keep saying um, as a scene by scene thing, it works, and I will agree with you on this. This movie is, I feel like, it is a coherent story, but it is sort of, it feels like it was written as a collection of scenes. Like every scene was written individually, and then kind of strung together because right. every scene is so uh it feels like its own thing it almost feels disjointed from the rest of the movie this movie doesn't flow i does that make sense yeah but i almost want to disagree like i agree on some extent uh like i think a lot of like the villain stuff is just kind of spliced in there but I feel like the couple, like, they really tie it together. The Badlands story, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what Badlands is. Uh, um, that is a movie, uh, and this is, a, this is a very Tarantino thing, too. This movie is sort of an homage to other movies. This movie's an homage to Taxi Driver. This movie's an homage to Badlands, right down to the music, you know, that... Uh, the little chimey. Dun, 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 Stop. Dun. That's not from Badlands, but the Badlands music is very, very similar. Oh, I hate that. Don't hate it. It's meant. I thought it was original. It's, it's meant to be. It's meant to be an homage to these movies. Even though Badlands, this is less Badlands than like uh, uh, Natural Born Killers, which was like just a couple years later. Um, but uh. Yeah, it, Badlands is a story of uh, two kids who who go on a killing spree across the country. Martin Sheen uh, from The West Wing plays a president in The West Wing. Right. Uh, it's Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. So and, it's, uh, what's the bandit couple? It's like that. Uh, Natural Born Killers. 
No, I'm talking the real life oh, Bonnie story. And Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. It's yeah, kind of, a, a little bit, but it also is like focused a little bit more. The way Natural Born Killers did the same thing. It focuses on like the media attention of it and these kids who are in over their head, and that okay. that's sort of like it's it's less of a direct rip. And this is where I'm going to get into like uh, uh, the reason I like the taxi driver homage here more than I say, than I like it in, in something like the Joker. Like Joker is like an almost direct retelling of something like taxi driver here. The taxi driver nod is that this guy goes and kills her pimp. Like that's, that's it. And, okay. and then rescues the rescues, the call girl. Um, but it, it is, all of these things are just sort of like Quentin Tarantino going, I love these movies. I want to kind of uh, pay tribute to them. And this is what he does in all of his movies. Every one of his movies is paying tribute to movies that he I, loves. Paying tribute is Easter eggs. It's not ripping off plots. It's not? Well, how many original plots are there? I don't know. Okay, that, we're <laughs> but, getting off track. The romance here is good. I like, like, they're bad people. I don't like them as people. Right. But, like, it's, it works. And it's sweet. And, like, there's always, like, a movement to their scenes. Like, we're going here. They're we're going doing somewhere. this. Right. Uh, and there's just something about their energy that I like. Even though it's, like, they got married and tattooed the second day they knew each other. And it's dumb. I'm really upset about that music thing. Because that was one of my huge pluses, is... That it doesn't take that, away that the music is that chime. Like I loved that it was consistent <clears throat> and it was like really the only score in this movie. Go to YouTube and find song. find the Badlands music, and you'll just hear it. Like it's it's similar. I would say this is better. It's more uh, melodic. It's more on point. It's more staccato. There's differences to it, but mm-hmm. it is definitely that same instrument being used. It's in that same key. And it's, it's just sort of like a, it's nothing to be upset about. It, it's a movie that I think in 93, people weren't talking about Badlands. You know, it was new to a lot of people. And then you go, oh, yeah. Then, then you would go back and watch Badlands, which I only saw a few years ago. And I was like, oh, wow, this has really got some, uh, 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 Tarantino really liked this movie. It clearly influenced this. And it clearly influenced Oliver Stone in Natural Born Killers, which Tarantino also uh, did punch up writing on. But, All right. Um, I I don't know that that was just one of my really big pluses was like because the first time I heard it, I was like, this doesn't match the vibe of this scene. Like, right. it just it felt out of context. But like the more it played, the more I was like, oh, it's the couple's theme, or like. It is some sort of thing like that, and, and it's it just... more it's more playful than the Badlands one because Clarence and Alabama, I think, are supposed to be a more playful couple. We're supposed to be having fun with them. Yeah, you know, like they're I they don't they're they spontaneous. Aren't, they yes. aren't evil. They're they're just like not thinking about things. They're, they're crazy kids. They're dumb, is right. what they are, yeah. and they're way over their head. Um, I'm really surprised to hear you say that you like their role. All the things that you like in this movie are things that I really expected you to be. That was dumb. I didn't like that. Uh, no, if it was all that, I 
I would be all about this movie. Like the fun, dumb, they're running from the cops and from the mob and yeah. trying to sell this Coke, but they don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> uh, it was a, that, like the second half of this movie is great. I, maybe not, I don't know, like the last act, like all of the California stuff I love. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's just bits. Even and the parts terrible of the woman movie. beating scene. I. I that wasn't beating on a woman to beat on a woman though, that was just. It was just mobsters doing mobster shit. Right. Right. And Clarence had left her alone without a gun, and uh, uh, she was defenseless. I'm, I am. I am shocked to hear that this scene didn't bother you more. What? I sh- No, because this song look, look, she's not a big buff woman. I this, she's not going to get a one up on the gangster. This scene is hard to watch. Like this is a really violent It's pretty brutal. Brutal uh James Gandolfini who is unbelievably good in this movie. Uh the way he the way he's like breaking down like his philosophy about killing people. Right. It's chilling. To, like, he's smiling and just talking about, yeah, now I just kill people to watch your expression change. It's like, oh my god, this guy is <laughs> insane! Uh, I I was really just like, <clears throat> use the gun. He had a gun the whole time. Yeah. He could have just killed her in two seconds, but he wanted to have fun with her. Well, he wanted to know where the coke was. Oh, was I, I whole, never... That was the whole thing. Is he was, in the same way that like they were torturing to torture, yeah. Dennis Hopper... Like, they were trying to find... They're trying to get information. But she was so good in... Like, like when she was, like, uh, trying to struggle to say words, and then she just holds up yeah, her middle finger and smiles. And she's like, you look ridiculous! And throw, I mean, but, I mean, he is just wailing on her. It is... It's, she she outsmarted she him. Really, she really like won the, the fight yeah. because she... She played with his emotions the way he wanted to play with her. It's... Like, it's it, a wild, wild scene. It's like a cat is playing with a mouse, and then the mouse is just like, what, you think you're tough shit? And then the mouse sets it on fire. <laughs> as, she, as it does in nature. And she, <laughs> shoots it point blank with a shotgun. Yeah, it is... Uh... And and the... I love, like, she's still like... Uh, she just goes wild. She's screaming, and yeah. when Clarence comes into the room, she hits him. Yeah, it's barbaric. She's just, yeah, she's just in the moment. She does like she, she, uh, she does like a battle cry, like yeah. when the shotgun's empty, and then just wails on him with the shotgun. It's and I never questioned it because I was just like, yes, that's what you do in that moment. This is like, just humans are animals, right? Yeah. It is. It show, it really shows like the most primal. No, I I shit. love the action scenes in here. Uh, the shootout too. The shootout at the in the apartment. hotel room is amazing. Yeah. Although at one point I was literally like, it it seemed weird How what it was showing. How many feathers are in that couch? Well, no, <laughs> no. I I loved all the chaos, the cocaine flying <laughs> yeah. through the air. No, but like, uh, it was showing like a cop who had one line die. And I was like, why is this? And then later, like, the other cop gets revenge. Oh, yeah. And he says, for him. But, like, I just thought it was weird, the sequence that they showed things in. Yeah, it's uh, a, it's chaotic, which, um, which works, because it would be. 
mm-hmm. you know. But but also the direction of the scene is chaotic. Not just like the the scene looks chaotic, but it's like they don't know who to focus on. I felt like right. Well, it's like just a ton of people with guns, all right. pointing at each other. And then uh, there's also like the projector is going, so you have that weird light that's the cast. helicopter, yeah, and and just yeah, everything that goes down in that last shootout, which is another, um, uh, I I will call that an influence too. I feel like that's influenced heavily by like John Woo action movies from Hong Kong. Okay. Stuff like The Killer, where it's just like, John Woo always has like doves flying. Like, <laughs> and and uh, here they didn't have doves. They just had like feathers <laughs> flopping around. Um, Is that what uh, those movies in the beginning were? No, those were other like uh, Kung Fu movies. Those were like Sonny Chiba, who is also like a real, real guy. Those like Street Fighter movies. Yeah. Those are like real movies. And I think all of that, I think all of it is just like, because Tarantino's way into like John Woo and all this Eastern stuff. Kill Bill is basically his love letter to Lady Snowblood and all of these uh, Chinese action movies. Okay. That that he's just like a giant fan of. So, you know, it's like Clarence's apartment has like Hong Kong cinema posters. Clarence is Quentin Tarantino. Like, that's... Yikes. That's all he is. Uh, all right. Uh, this was this is like a the nerd. The whole movie is just like a nerd power fantasy. Like at the time he wrote this, I think he was uh, uh, working in a video store. Clarence works in a comic book shop, you know. And it's just him. Everybody that he kills or or takes out in this movie is somebody who's bullying him or bullying uh, like. Someone he like, cares about. Drexel, yeah. you know, like, it's it's just like, this is the nerd breaking out of society. He's gonna, he's gonna steal the coke and he's gonna go, this is, uh, um, basically the, he wants to go live like Easy Rider. Like, he, the beginning of Easy Rider is, is Dennis Hopper and, uh, Fonda, Peter Fonda doing a cocaine deal. Right. So that they have enough money to just go live free. And, and so that's what, that's what the ultimate goal is here. I, I could see that this was an escape fantasy, but what I, like, it's weird because as a character, I feel like he doesn't work. Like, he is, he should be worried. He should be nervous. Like, he has this unearned confidence that, like, someone who's been working at a video or a comic book store for four years and is poor and so have you never out of touch with his seen a interview with Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> like he's kind of look. I love his. Uh, I love his movies. I think he's a really great director. I think he's a brilliant writer. Uh, uh, this script being very early, I think it had some problems. But Quentin Tarantino himself, kind of insufferable, like. Kind of always like the biggest dick in the room energy. Like, and, I'm not and, surprised. And, and from the, I mean, he he did the movies he made right off the bat got a lot of big response, and it, you know, you, it's not unearned confidence, but he was always like, yes, I'm a genius, kind of, kind of like, like attitude. But that's that's the the thing I like about Clarence is, I think Clarence is a nerd, 
and he doesn't have any confidence. You see him in the bar at the beginning talking to that girl and he's kind of like stammering through like he has like his rehearsed line of like, oh, I want to live fast, die young and leave a good looking like this is a, a thing he says over and over through the movie. Right. Like that's his one rehearsed line. And then when he asks her out, he's like, well, do you want to come to the movie? But like as he goes through the movie, all he's doing is acting like tough guys in movies. He, so but like he, we never see him question or like we, we don't get to see that he's actually vulnerable. Like I, I feel like at one point he should have just been like, what the hell am I doing? But I think, he never has that moment. I think the thing uh, that is where Val Kilmer comes into this. The ghost of Elvis. Or uh, he's actually called something else. The Vision or something like that in the credit. But he's meant to be like Elvis in he, Clarence's mind. Right. He's the hype man. He's the... Right. Right. Exactly. Clarence goes to the bathroom and is like, you think I'm doing okay? You know, like during the drug deal... He's like, you think I'm doing okay? Was I was I kissing his ass too much? And his own internal hype man is saying, no, 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 man, you're doing fine. Keep going, keep going. You're doing great. And and it's just sort of like Clarence is in denial of of what a nerd he is and how out of his depth he is. He <laughs> picked up his wife, who had been beaten within an inch of her life, and was like, okay, let's go do this coke deal that almost got her killed, like. Right. He, he knows he knows enough he he knows they're in danger enough to where they lied to his friend about where she got her black eye. But he's going to carry out yes, it is unearned confidence. It's it's just wild to me cuz I feel like he doesn't have that in the beginning and then he just miraculously gets it. Do you think that's a commentary on on what Alabama brings to him? No, I just think it's bad writing. I I feel like his character is inconsistent. Because I agree. He, the, I, the dialogue in this movie is good. Like, I will not... That's You can't shit on Quentin Tarantino for that. But I I don't see... I don't see uh, Clarence as an actual character. He's just a put yourself in his shoes. I think... Like, I think, he's wild at some points, and he's very calm and cool and collected at others. And it just... None of it adds up. I think I think he is when he that's what I'm saying. I think when he's calm and cool, it's when he is pretending to be like a tough guy. Like when he goes to see Drexel and he's trying to be like, uh, here's here's what I'm offering you, and he gives him an empty envelope. Like that's straight out of like a movie because Clarence has seen too many movies. But he's also like his voice isn't totally confident. And after he kills Drexel is when he starts to get more. He's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that worked." And he starts. He he does have this little build from the beginning, but you're right. He does come to his confidence very quickly. I'm not, you know, <laughs> but I think there is. It, I it, think there is the first twenty minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes, where he really kind of doesn't have it. Like it isn't like this is like his descent into madness. It's just like he's he, just there. It's like five minutes in, he turns mad, and then right. he sometimes hides it or something. I don't know. I just... That's a fair criticism. I, I couldn't wrap my head around who he was. Like, Alabama, I was like, got it. Love her. I, I mean, she's not the best person, but... See, now, I would take Alabama to be like, uh, 
she very easily could have been just as part of that like nerd power fantasy like what does Clarence want he wants a really hot girl who is just crazy about him and will do whatever he says unquestioningly and and that's I think if Patricia Arquette hadn't played her with like so much playful charisma that's easily what she could have been I it's weird because the way she's written is almost like a man manic pixie dream girl it, it, yes uh like I 500 days of summer or something yeah but it, like i i don't know there's more to her and it's it's not just her performance i think because like uh there's a crazier energy to her than like a zoe deschanel or somebody like that right like, it's it's a little more you get the sense she could go off the rails at any time mm-hmm. and it would be really fun to go with her you know like it would just right yeah. and like uh and at the beginning when she's not telling him anything about herself um right like he asks all these questions like where are you from and she's like i forgot uh just stuff like that and then there's um in her fight scene in the beginning you can tell she's so nervous yeah like yeah. she's giggling and she's just trying to act cool and then she lies and she's like Oh, that's not actually my name. Like, even though she knows it's not working. Right. But, like, I don't know. There's there's a character oh, my, there. My husband will be back from football practice. Since, <laughs> like, she's trying to... Uh, He's really big, so yeah. be careful. It's, uh... No, she's great. She's great. She is. And uh, when when he announces that he killed the... The guy and and she like just hangs her head and then she's like, "No, I love it. It's yeah. so romantic. It's so romantic." <laughs> like what? Uh, the the when she talks about like the three little words and it's not "I love you." It's "You're so cool." Like that. <laughs> I mean, I, again, it's it's nerd fantasy stuff. It's like, of course, you want to hear that from the hot girl, but it's just right. it is also like. It could have been, I think, a really thankless, like, misogynist role of the woman who's there to serve the male lead. Mm-hmm. But really, she she kind of owns that co She has headline. her own agency. She's yeah. kind of like Harley Quinn. Dude, I, I, I did not write this in notes, but I'm, as you're saying them, I'm, like, having flashes of thinking, <laughs> like, yeah, there's a Harley Quinn energy here. Without the, like, abuse angle. Yeah, I, I'm, I I'm, thank I'm God, because then I would be like, all right, Quentin, right. We, we have a problem here. Like, when they're um, they're visiting Dennis Hopper, they're visiting his dad. Yeah. And his dad's, like, going to find out about what the cops know about Drexel's murder. And she's just out doing cartwheels. Like, look at me! I'm doing cartwheels, <laughs> like, by the train tracks. And it's just yeah. like... Like, she has, like, this little kid energy uh, while still being uh, a grown woman with, with agency. She's, like, an innocence to her. It, yeah. That, that's really she, fun. She's like, yeah. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Um, She kind of just rolls with the plot of the movie. Yeah. Uh, And there's also, there's a thing in the beginning where she tells him that he, that she's a call girl. Um... But she kind of also puts down other call girls 
And I feel like that's an interesting character thing. Yeah. Like, she's like, I've only done it three times. And she's like, I'm, I'm not, not damaged goods, is what and, she, she said. Yeah. And and I'm not Florida trash. Or she says something about that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I, I feel like uh, it's, it's a weird... Um, that is an interesting line. It's like she has an insecurity about where she comes from and what she does. Right. And she thinks she's above it Mm -hmm. uh and maybe she is but it's also like yeah it's a weird and and she's also it's part of she's explaining who she actually is she's being vulnerable to him and she's kind of like putting herself down she's like i know this is awful but right and then it's even a a bigger surprise when he's like okay whatever yeah he just doesn't care. You were paid to ha- go on a date with me and have sex? Okay. Well, uh, uh, he said it wasn't even just that. It was that he goes, uh, uh, he says, I had a great time. He's like, this is one of the best nights of my life. Like, right. why would I be mad about this? Like, mm-hmm. and it, I don't, you know, and you, I think he does really sell it. I'm not like a huge uh, Christian Slater fan. I think he's fine. He does, uh, he does a, Jack Nicholson impression most of the time, but like, okay. Uh, but I think he really kind of does sell it that like, this wasn't just about like having sex with her. He was, he genuinely liked going and watching Kung Fu movies and then going to a (laughs) diner with her and showing her comic books and like Mm -hmm. all this stuff they did that he genuinely had a good time, you know, like that, that night. And so, yeah, I it's, you kind of buy you kind of buy the whole thing as unrealistic as it all is. That for that date is so cute in like a billion different ways. <laughs> like when they come out of the movies and she's like karate she's like, chopping, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, there's something about when he's showing her comics, and like it's unspoken, but there's a look on her face like I don't care about this, but I care about you. Or yeah, something there's about... a, there's a, she's kind of, um, kind of impressed by like how into, like unironically into comic books he is like, oh, this is a genuine guy with genuine interests. I, it's so funny. His first date idea for like every woman, it seems is let's go watch three Kung Fu movies in a row. Like what kind of date is that? Well, he said uh, that was his birthday tradition, too. True. Like, he's like, it's my birthday, and I go go to the movies on my birthday. Can we cut to the ending? Sure. Uh, because you have in the notes here, unearned happy ending. And uh, I'm going to agree with you. I, I don't know. Um, I should have looked this up. I don't know if this was uh, how Tarantino originally wrote it or if this was changed, but it feels tacked on. It feels tacked on and changed. Um, it does. Like, and... like like Clarence was supposed to die, but um, the studio didn't like that or audiences didn't Or like the director that. didn't or like Or Tony that, Scott didn't like it. Right. I I don't know. Uh, But maybe not because this movie is all about confidence. So to kind of just be like... Interesting. 
I, it got there in the end. Like, they made it. They got their money. They went to Mexico. They had a kid. Yeah. They named him Elvis. Like, I don't know. But, like, I partly, like, I meant that both in that the movie doesn't, like, work up to it enough. And also that, like, I don't think these characters should have had a happy ending. Like, they did so many, like, little wrong things. Like, not telling their friend about how they actually got the cocaine and right. ruining his right. life. yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's little stuff like that that, like, I'm like, you should have had consequences. Like, this should have caught up to you in some way. But instead, they seem to just, like, burn the building around them and, like, hop out the fire escape. Yeah, it's, uh... Although... It was really fun to watch them uh, just stumble out of there yeah. past the cops. <laughs> like, very clearly this man has been shot. No, no, no. He has glasses they're on. They're carrying a briefcase full of cash. <laughs> and they escape in a purple Cadillac in the most conspicuous car in the world. Like, it's, uh, yeah. I feel like I feel like uh, if Clarence had died and then they'd shown Alabama on the beach with the baby. You know, like, that would have been like, oh. You know, it, it seemed like that would have made more more sense. Like, there was some loss there, yet, you know, she grabbed the money and got it. I, I don't know. But it, it does seem like the ending just does seem kind of tacked on. And I wondered if, if it had been changed or not. But I, I don't know. But it's, uh, it's... yeah. Yeah, it does kind of seem like, uh, like, because everybody got murdered. In that room, except for uh, Dick Ritchie, who ran out. Right. Uh, but, like, every cop, every nameless cop. I, I uh, think it should have been everyone dies at the end. It could have been the Rogue One ending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, slow it out. Like, if they had all just died in, like, a two-minute uh, shootout, it would have been like, okay, that's boring. But maybe, like, it changes scenes, or they go out into the lobby, like... There's ways to do it, but yeah. I feel like that would have been a more appropriate ending. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But you did feel like a main character should have died. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's just sort of like, yeah, it's a little too clean. The, the odds end. of two of a couple, like, surviving this when, like, 99% right. of the people in that room didn't survive. because he, he was in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But still got shot. He still lost an he, eye. I guess that was their consequences. That was their payment. Yeah. Like Odin. That's right. Yeah. Elvis is uh, his... Uh, what, what are the raven's names? I don't remember. Give him knowledge. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, the birds. Um, that's, uh, that's what I got. You got anything else on this? On this uh, crazy, crazy movie? I don't know. You you mentioned like cracks in this movie. What what do you see as like is that plot wise? Just is stuff that... like I, I, I talked about, like the the scenes don't all string together super well. This is very blatantly a a a power revenge fantasy by if this this script is one that I think has some great dialogue and it has some great plot points. But it also seems like it was written by a very young person who doesn't quite know the mechanics of how everything works or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, 
I, I, I take people who take issue with like Tarantino's dialogue. I put that in the same camp as like Aaron Sorkin or, uh, who's the woman who wrote Juno? I know who you mean. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, uh, Diablo Cody. Um, okay. Uh, People talk about, oh, people don't really talk like that. And it's like, no, they don't. It's stylized dialogue. You know, like... Because real dialogue kind of sucks. It sounds boring, right. Yeah. It, it, but this is written in in that style, and he had this down early. Uh, some of the uncomfortable stuff aside, I think a lot of these dialogue scenes just play out so, so well. But it, there's just weird cracks in it, and it just seems like... Oh, like a, a film school student wrote that wrote this. Oh. A really a really gifted film school student, but like a student just the same. This wasn't this isn't as sophisticated as a lot of Tarantino's later later work. Stuff like Kill Bill, stuff like uh, The Hateful Eight is it's long, but it's a it's a brilliantly written movie and yes. that, that works all the way through. Um, and, and flows really well. This is just a little bit of a choppier script and, uh, and it's, it's just not, uh, it's not the gem I thought it was. I still really, really like this movie, but it's not like, uh, I don't know. Would you say it's one of the lesser Tarantino scripts? Um, Maybe uh, there's 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 only one Tarantino movie that I outright don't like, and that's Death Proof. Um, but yeah, it would it would be. I, I man, it's hard to say. But yeah, yeah, maybe it's it's just a little less sophisticated than something like Jackie Brown, let's say, which is an adaptation, but it is very much a Tarantino script. You know what I mean? Like it's okay. Uh, uh, but which I think is, is sort of, that's the point where Tarantino got really smart. Like, I, I feel like he took a giant leap forward by adapting an Elmore Leonard thing to his style and making it a black exploitation movie to boot. He really like upped his game at that point. So there's sort of like a, there's a, this early stuff, Reservoir Dogs, great. Pulp Fiction's great. This is somewhere in that same sphere, but not not quite up to that level. I would just say this this reads very much like an early work that isn't quite as far along. Fair enough. Like Scorsese made Mean Streets, which is a great movie, but it's not Taxi Driver. It's not Goodfellas. It's not his more sophisticated things that he did later. It's raw. It's more raw, and 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 it's something I I don't think is as polished as what he would later do. And right. I would put this. I have the I have the benefit of hindsight of seeing Tarantino movies for the last thirty years. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this this was kind of my intro to it too. So now I can look back and go, oh, this this is great, but it's not what he would do later. Okay, I I I understand. Which what maybe saying. isn't totally fair to hold it against other stuff, but. I mean, yeah. well, that that's what my question was, though. Like looking at all of his work, like. Yeah, I would Where, probably put this in, in like a bottom tier. It's not like his worst script. It's just okay. It's just a little less polished than a lot of I, his stuff. I don't know what it is. I I like rankings. They they don't show a complete picture. 
like uh with doctor who like people love to rank like the right. seasons and stuff and it's like that doesn't mean you think these on the bottom are bad it just lets you like, take the temperature of you, exactly. what, what are your preferences what, right what, what do you like about this body of work right yeah. um i speaking of like Earlier, we talked about uh, self-inserts, and, like, I think one of the biggest, like, there's a lot of movie talk in here that I'm like, this is just yeah. his opinion. Like, when he's talking about uh, war movies with, uh, oh yeah, yeah, and the Oscars with the director, right. I'm like, okay. Like, you're just speaking directly to the audience here. Uh, I have, the, the Tarantino movie I have not seen is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And people love that movie, but, uh, I, and I know a lot of just listening to podcasts and stuff, a lot of Hollywood people like that movie because there's a lot of inside Hollywood and Hollywood like folklore about like the Manson family and shit like that in there. So interesting. It is, it is funny. Like Tarantino loves movies so much that he will circle around to making movies that are about movie you know it's what i mean pretty like, meta, and yeah. it, it is just sort of like it's funny to see him doing that this early you know where where he's you know and and i think uh <laughs> earlier when i was like ah oh, this this is a uh you were talking about badlands about how it's like yeah uh not a ripoff what what did you call it like an uh, homage an homage yeah. yeah uh i think what got me is like I feel like that's a missing layer to the story that I don't get because, like, I haven't seen most of the movies that Quentin Tarantino has seen. Right. I haven't seen Taxi Driver or Badlands or any of these, like, greats that were, like, from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Like, I haven't seen any of those. Well, at the, when I first saw this movie, I hadn't seen any of those either. Like, this is... I don't think it detracts from the movie. It just is... It's his influence. And then when you see those movies, you go, oh, this, I see, I see where he got this, this from, or I see where he gets this element from. Like right. I saw a lady Snowblood a few years ago and I'm like, holy shit. Like this is Kill Bill. All <laughs> this over. ripped off Kill Bill. <laughs> I mean, it really is like, it's incredible that he essentially like remakes that movie without remaking that movie. Right. Still making it his own. That's that's what I like about it is he takes these things and it is very much a an homage, but he also makes it his own. He puts his own dialogue in it. He puts his own character in it. puts his own stamp on it. And I think that's the difference between that and something like Todd Phillips basically making the Joker and making it Taxi Driver or uh, King of Comedy and just inserting the Joker character in place of robert de niro i really like joker and i i i'm not begrudging anyone i haven't who likes seen joker. those movies so i don't know how much of a ripoff it is i'm not I just, i'm not begrudging it i'm just saying like it's less of an original thing the only original thing is that in the place of the robert de niro character in those movies they put joaquin phoenix as a joke okay <laughs> and, and that's that's really uh a, uh a, a lot of but but does he laugh a lot, huh? <sighs> Boy, that's there we go. That's uh that's character work, Look, right? I, I give it credit for I think Joaquin Phoenix is great in Joker. I don't think the movie's great, but I think Joaquin Phoenix is great. Okay. And, I'll, I'll and, take that. And I think this this movie, I think True Romance is 
still a great movie. Uh, warts and all. And I will, I will revisit this movie. I think it's a fun movie, and I don't think there's really any bigger point to it. I just think this is a surface-level romantic crime uber-violent movie. Right. I, at the end of the day, like, this isn't about anything, but it made me think it was because I, I felt like it was bringing up, like, these big, like, politicized topics that I'm like, okay, where are you going with this? And then it didn't go anywhere. Do you think that's because we live in the time where um, so many things coming out right now uh, the if race is brought up at all, it is in a bigger context. It is the point of the movie. It is sort of like a big, I don't want to say educational, but kind yeah. of like, I feel like every, every time race is brought up, the movie becomes completely about race. Well, every time racism is brought up. Not race itself. Like, uh, soul isn't about racism. No, I don't think race. I I don't think it's about race at all. It just happens to be about black people. I that's being about race. It's not about race. There's no. They never bring up the topic of race. I. They talk about black culture and how uh, they talk about jazz. Jazz is important to black people. That's that's in the movie. They talk about right, but the movie is not. That's what I'm saying. Even if you bring that up. That's fine. That's an element in the movie. That's a talking point. That's a conversation that two characters have. That doesn't make the movie itself about race. That's what I'm saying. I, I Well, I guess I don't understand your definition of about race. Because about race is just having race present. Whereas I'm like, about racism, that's like, you're bringing it into this story i'm talking about the point of something like soul has nothing to do with race the point of soul has to do with uh uh humanity and finding a purpose in your life not a vocation right that's what it's about it happens to have a main character and most of the supporting characters who happen to be black or asian or hispanic because they live it takes place in a black neighborhood, in an ethnic neighborhood. It takes right. place in Brooklyn. Like, that's it. That's the only that's the only way that movie is about race. But so many movies, if the topic of race is brought up, then the central theme of the movie becomes about race. It becomes about racism. It becomes about racial history. I feel like uh I feel like we're almost taking a step backwards because so many times if we're going to have black characters or gay characters or anything, they're there to be a prop to talk about racism. They can't just be people having a story in a movie. Right. You know what I I mean? I see what you're saying. I I, I feel like so many, but I feel like that's the trend now. That makes you think that 30 years ago, someone bringing up race meant that the an entire movie should... Oh, oh, is there a racial theme in this movie? No, not really. This is being brought up. Well, they're bringing and, up racial issues, which I'm like, okay, address them. Don't just have them. Because then it's like... 
I don't know. There's problems in our society, and if you're gonna mention it, talk about it. I don't know. I think you can I, mention you, it. You can without... have black characters without making the plot about uh, racial issues, but you can't have black characters being shit on or racism in your movie and not have the movie be about racial issues. I think. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. You can, but I just, I feel like it's wrong. Or it's, I don't know. It's, I don't know how to explain it. It's not like, I know what you're saying. Like, I, there are so many shows that it's like, we're going to bring on this gay character to talk about. To talk about gay issues. People being bullied. Right. Right. And I'm like, I don't. Why can't you just have a gay character who. You know, goes on a date with somebody or... That's what I'm saying. But you... You... If you bring homophobia into it, talk about homophobia. Don't just be like, here's a homophobic character, here's a gay character. I don't want the plot of of a movie I'm watching that whose central theme is not about that to stop the movie and lecture me about homophobia. I think... I think there's a lot of things that... Then don't have homophobia in the movie. That's it. That's all... Don't bring up an issue if you're not going to address if you're, the issue. If your issue. character is homophobic uh, and they display that, how, how, why can't that just be a character moment? And, and especially if they display it and also show that they're like, you know, some sort of like alpha bro cop who use um, homophobia to bully somebody into flipping on their boss. Like, right, but it's also you don't have to stop and talk about like, hey, homophobia is bad, guys. Like, we're seeing it in this cop who's a a clown himself. Like, yeah, this. You okay, know. but you're also seeing it in the morally ambiguous. I can't say words today. Morally ambiguous. Yes, main character and like everyone in the movie. It's it becomes there, but not addressed. Okay, and it's weird. And I like, people are like, oh, today is too sensitive. And on one hand, I'm like, I kind of agree in some ways. Like, people just jump to 100 or they they criticize everything. But that also, I feel like before modern era, like, people were not sensitive enough. Sure. I, There's a middle ground. I'm not a, I'm And not the middle ground is if you bring racial issues or any issue into a story it needs to be tied to the theme i don't think that's necessarily true but i get the gist of what you're saying okay all right i don't want to see some kind of haze code come back in and dictate the way we have to portray certain things that's not what i'm saying that's that's an exaggeration that's not even fair well, I'm just saying, like, I don't think anybody has to do anything. I think a lot of times there's subtext in a movie. I think if, uh, I think, I think, I don't know exactly what you're talking about as far as, like, the main character being racist. I don't. I, he uses the N-word. He, when, when he Clarence? doesn't, yeah, he doesn't say, is the pimp black? He says, is he the N-word? Does he really? He does. So he said, is he black? No, I, it's things like that. And he says the F slur and it's just things of that nature. Like, I don't know. 
I'm not. I, I think if it's going to be there, talk about it. If you don't want it there, yeah, you don't have be, to have it there. It's just an insensitive movie. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I well, don't I'm know. seeing it through a different lens in the world that it was made. But that's what that's the 90s that was, was the, also a horrible, horrible that was era. The, that was the point I was originally bringing up was, do you think that you think that because you're you're coming at this from 30 years down the line? When, yes. When movie culture and and the way we talk about things in movies is 100% different. But I'm saying part of the movie culture today is right in the way that it handles things. Think, not not all the, the way. I think culture today is wrong. I mean, well. it's it's very corporate checkboxes. I it's despicable in that way. But like it's the same thing with like uh companies changing their rainbow uh their oh, logo yeah. to rainbow for pride month without actually doing anything. I think that's very nice. I don't. I'm just joking. The <laughs> I know. I I'm losing my point here. No, you're not. No, you're on it. Okay. I there are good things and bad things I don't about think the, modern I don't think the nineties was a was a horrible, horrible time. I think the For 90, gay people. I think the nineties was the beginning of of changing a lot of these things. The nineties is is the era where I think I first heard the term political correctness. And people laughed at it then, the way people laugh at it now. But it really was without being crazy extreme too much the i think the roots of the idea of being politically correct was like hey just be polite to like marginalized people like and that that was really that really started in the 90s i think i think a lot of things that maybe weren't it's not reflected in the media at all no change is slow but i the 90s is where i think a lot of this stuff started i think a lot of uh, pop culture was starting to turn that turn that tide. This right. is a this is a hard edged movie with hard edged characters who say some shitty things. That's that's the fact of what this movie it, is. It just it it's not trying to make a point about race. It's not trying to make a point about uh, sexuality. But its characters are kind of shitty people who say some kind of shitty things, and sometimes it's motivated. For something good, like the Dennis Hopper uh, monologue, um, and sometimes it's just maybe a product of the time, or Tarantino trying to be edgy, or whatever. Well, and the, it doesn't play very well thirty years later. The hard edges. It's not just that it doesn't play well now; like it cuts into the good parts of the movie. That's fair. It detracts from. It's distracting. I'm not saying that it's held up well. I, I don't see how it would ever be good at the time. I I don't know. I I did not grow up in the 90s. I did not experience the 90s. I just... They don't look like a fun time, is all I'm saying. Well, no time is fun. I guess. I mean, when you get right down to it, in 30 years, people are going to look back at us and go, doesn't look like a fun time. You're because right. It really isn't right now. So I mean, uh, the world sucks. That's the motto it here. Suck. There's good stuff too. That was the point I was making. The '90s also had some really good things. It was the start of change, 
for some every every shitty time it has people trying to push change forward. I was thinking about this today. Uh, in the eighties is when the big push to end drinking and driving started. Okay. When I was a kid. Don't drink and drive. There was all these campaigns, mothers against drunk driving, uh, students against drunk driving, all these organizations came up. You know what people kept doing? Drinking and driving. It Because it it's just a harmless not harmless like drinking and driving, but like it's an easy thing for groups to get behind. I think. What do you mean? Like it's the same as like being against abortion. It's like an easy oh. thing to we're we're gonna put our energy into this rather than things that are more important. But like, here's here's where I'm going with this. Your generation, I think, is actually looking at drinking and driving and going, Yeah, it's a terrible idea. I'll just take an Uber. I'll do this, I'll do that. You know, pushes to not smoke. We've talked about this a hundred times. You know, we're aimed at Gen Xers. Gen Xers all smoked. We all smoked. Yeah. Your generation doesn't smoke. I feel like there's wherever the push starts, that that generation that's a kid that they start educating about this, it'll be their kids who are actually taking the action to push it. Why is that? I don't that's know. Bizarre. Because change is slow. Because because uh it it takes sometimes I think people that's what people's pushback is against their parents is to go, what my parents do is stupid. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to smoke. I see, you know, whatever. These are two examples that I just randomly thought of today. Where I'm like, oh, weird. It's like a generation behind where the big push really started. But right. it it's slow, but it do, the wheel does turn. I don't know. with With like... Social issues, it's a little different because, like, in the 70s, there was also that push. And then I'm thinking in terms of gay people because I'm gay. Uh, and then what? And, and then in the 80s, AIDS happened and killed off all of the prominent gay people. Uh, and we had this regression. And then in the 90s, uh, social issues came back on the rise. So there's like a it ebbs and flows, it does ebb and flow, sure. And, um, yeah, there was a not great administration in the 80s as far as uh, the AIDS crisis was concerned. Right. Uh, they chose to largely ignore it because it predominantly affected the gay community. You're right. No, it, there's an ebb and a flow to it. But, you know, as long as... I, I feel I feel like it's, it's steps forward, it's half step back, it's another step forward. You know what I mean? Like... It, I guess, yeah. I'm sure it doesn't seem like that. I'm sure there's a very white guy thing that I'm... White straight guy thing that I'm saying. I mean, I can be gay and not be... I... And people accept me. Like, there's... There's ups and downs, I guess. Sure. I Society is just moving way too slow it, for... It's a lot of people to change. Yeah. You know. And I think I just think it is... I think there is a generational component to it. I'm not saying this is any For kind sure. of sociological uh, expert. I'm just saying, like, in my observation of things like that, drinking and driving, we all knew it was a bad idea. A lot of us did it anyway. It's hard to get a taxi. 
it was, you know, hard to get around. But I, I think kids just, it's so easy to not do it now. And kids, I think, just have a little more sense. They have more access to more information that make, lets them go, oh, yeah, this is, there's no upside to this. And, and just yeah. sort of like... That probably affects smoking, too. With smoking. Like, there's so much... Infor- vaping, Although people always knew that... Vaping has cut into uh, cigarettes. But, yeah, don't listen to any Gen Xer who says, we didn't know better. Fuck you. There were warnings on packs the entire time that we were smoking. But I think at a certain point, your age group was more... It's not that nobody smokes in your age group. But I think... The numbers are way down, and the research shows that because your age group looked at it and said, "It's expensive, it's and gross. it causes health problems, it stinks. I don't see any upside to this at all." And it just like it took a generation to wake up and go, "That's the dumbest shit I've ever seen," and <laughs> and to not do it, you know, or to watch like their parents struggle to quit smoking and go, "Oh, that's highly addictive and terrible." And, yeah, that's very true. You know, um, Anyway, true romance, guys. So off track here. Uh, yeah. Would you watch this movie again? Did you watch it with Junior? Uh, I was going to. Uh, my computer was being an asshole. Uh, so I had to watch it alone. Um, eh. I don't know. If, I, if, Jun- if Junior picked it for movie night, would you be like, ugh? Or would you be like, okay, I'll, I'll sit through this again. I would sit through it again. Just he kid- would not... He no. was not excited about watching this movie. Not his cuppa. Well, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll try and keep him in mind with my next pick. Thank you. Yeah. Very Give me a list of, of his favorite movies. All and, right. A uh, uh, lot of uh, <laughs> Cirque du Soleil, maybe? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, no, I I definitely wouldn't recommend this movie. I might watch it again just like to figure out what I hate about it more. <laughs> Is that what you love about it? I Well, yeah, because sometimes... I don't like things and it's hard for me to pinpoint I get that. Yeah. what it is. So like, just to like close that loop, just to figure it out. I keep watching John Wick going, I don't know what's wrong with this movie, but something is. And there's also something right about this movie, but I don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird movie. It is. I have an intense, uh, I was talking about this yesterday. I have an intense hatred for call me by your name, but I don't have any real reason to. Just call me like, by your name. It's a gay romance. Uh oh. it's eighties. Uh part of it is that it's a seventeen year old and like a twenty six year old. Oh, that's awesome. And there's healthy. this uh yeah, it's very kind of predatory, but uh well, that's cool because they're gay. And then people also fed it it's also Italy in the eighties, so people people use that. Oh. They're like the age of consent was different and it's like but predatory behavior wasn't. You know, then, I, uh we watched Mare of Easttown. And uh, there's a storyline in there where Mare's daughter, who's in high school, starts dating. She's she's a lesbian and she starts dating a girl in college. And I go, if that girl in college was a guy. This this would cause so much hate, hatred, like, right. There, there, there's something wrong here that we're not as critical because they're gay and we're afraid to call it out. It was it was weird to watch, and and to, to also see people have no reaction to it. I and gay people like people have become more critical of "Call Me by Your Name." Should but we like, cut this out? Are we going to get canceled? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but like it's it's also that it's held up as the like this like beautiful love story and i'm like it's not it's a summer fling with a weird age gap and it ends in heartbreak because this 17 year old just doesn't know what like love is like Hmm. it's really like a warning tale but people like choose to read it as this really happy story and also teenage girls fetishized gay people because of it so i'm like no thank you interesting i don't know but i and disturbing i have never watched or read it uh but i have a dislike for it okay so that's that's me that's uh Uh, I, I I don't want to criticize you for that because there are things that I don't watch because I just go, that doesn't sound like that's for me. Mm-hmm. I don't, inten- I, I try not to intensely hate things, but there are things where I'm just like, not interested. Um, and I just move along. I, I might watch it one day just to like analyze like. But I do get irritated when people take those things and put them on a pedestal and they just sound like problematic as shit. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> like okay, you think uh, the romance and oh, I forgot the name of the movie. Uh, cut that out. You, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, got it. Do you think? Do you think um, people put that movie on a pedestal because it's a gay romance and it's about like virtue signaling? Like, I love this movie. I or do you just think? That, no, I think a lot of gay people like that. Do you movie. think it's? A, do you think there's a shortage of uh, gay entertainment, and it's just sort of like clinging? You know how like country music is terrible, but there's only so little of it that country music fans like all have to clamor to whatever comes on the radio. Right. That that is a thing, but there's like a lot of there's a shortage of gay romance movies, but there's a lot of books. And there are so many better books that could have, like, become popular and been adapted. And you guys picked the wrong one. <laughs> the wrong one. So, yeah. You guys need your own movie studio is what you need. I would love that, to be honest. Yeah. The, the haze, uh... You, you could play around with the, the, the haze ga- code. The haze code. <laughs> yes! There's something there. Come on, Hollywood. Anyway. We're going to close it out there. <laughs> oh, I did have one more question for you about okay. the, about this movie. Oh, are we still... You're uh, still on about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still, we're balancing it out here. Uh, would you... Uh, does this make you curious to watch any other Quentin Tarantino movies? I... It's left a sour taste in my mouth. Hmm. So, I don't know. Eh, Alright, let me give it some thought. I'll make you a recommendation. I would be willing to watch Django Unchained. Watch Django Unchained. I think that's a great place to jump into Watched it like five to seven years ago, so I don't remember much of it. I just... Yeah. I don't know. Lot of N-word use in there. But that's more... super appropriate for the story the setting the care it's civil war slavery right like, it's it's not just like it is yeah it's not just there like this movie is like i mean there is racial stuff in the real world all the time but like you know it's more 
when you're dealing with a story about slavery. It's like, contextually appropriate. Right. Yeah. Yes. And I would argue in some of his gangster stuff, it is too. Because it takes place in circles where that word is thrown around by people of color. Fair. So. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, I would, uh, yeah, maybe I'll bring Django on the show. Hmm. The movie, not the guy. I No, I, he's not a very good talker. <laughs> he squeaks sometimes. He's pretty vocal <laughs> when he's really upset about something. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, what now? Let's close it out and go to shout outs. Hey, that's what we do. What do you got this week? Uh, my shout out this week is a video by a YouTuber, Answers with Joe. Uh, he really talks about, a, like, just random stuff. But uh, most of his videos are, like, science or space related. Uh, and this one in particular is about scientifically accurate movies. It's a list of, like, the the most scientifically accurate movies. Okay. Uh, and it's interesting because they're not all good movies. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of the thing is, like, I I love accuracy um, because I don't want to learn something from a movie and think it's real science and then, like, find out, oh, no, that's totally frap fabricated but also it doesn't make a movie good like i learned through this uh video actually that carl sagan who's a famous scientist uh wrote a movie about aliens yeah contact yeah he wrote he wrote a book he wrote a book but he also worked on the movie did he work on the movie before he died yeah oh i didn't know that uh it came out like it was in production before he died okay yeah um but, like, I read reviews of it, and people do not like that movie. It's not uh, a great movie, yeah. Right, but the science in it is, like, to a T. Right. Uh, and it's very heavy in science. So, like, it's on that list, but it's not on a list of good movies. Probably. I haven't seen it in a long time, and I know there is an audience for that movie. Um, and it's not just, like, science nerds. There are people who legit like that movie. Okay. Um, but I... I have been curious about revisiting it. It's Jodie Foster. It's Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. It's good acting. It's Robert Zemeckis made it. Um, and I knew Sagan had wrote the book. I didn't know he was involved with the movie at all. Right. But um, uh, on that list is also, it's a bunch of movies, but uh, Interstellar, The Martian, mm-hmm. uh, Arrival, which is one of my favorite movies. Arrival's so good. So yes. good. Uh, and some lesser known ones. Uh so it's interesting. Check See, it out. Uh, and uh, Rival, Interstellar, The Martian, all very good movies. Right. That, you uh, know, like... They're not good because they're scientifically accurate. Right. But it's They also it's just a good happen place. to have scientifically accurate theories applied to their plots. Yeah. Yeah. They put plot first and then they tighten it up. Also, I would say uh, Futurama is actually surprisingly... <laughs> no, no, for real. Like, the some of the concepts that they talk about in Futurama are, like, legit scientific I, concepts. A, a lot of the time travel they play with yeah. is pretty accurate. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty great. Um, accurate to that time travel we know a lot about, you know? All, all the time <laughs> That's travel. right. That's right. Uh, what are you shouting out? I am going to shout out uh, nothing because I forgot to put it in the uh, show notes. I'm shouting out a YouTube channel called Film Crit Hulk. And that is like uh, 
video essays about certain aspects of film. There are only a few videos on that channel, uh, but they are very good. And like the the image, the the static image of it is a drawing of uh, the Incredible Hulk. He's wearing reading glasses and sort of giving. It's it's supposed to be like him delivering this dissertation about film. But uh, in particular, the one I recently watched is about uh, how to make a compelling action scene. We talked about you know the shootout scene in True Romance and some of the the action stuff. And this is breaking down the last Mission Impossible movie that came out. And breaking down the action scenes. This is why they work. This is what they do. They're moving characters. Characters change within this. It's a really interesting breakdown of action scenes that work. And why some of them do. And some of them don't. And I think that last Mission Impossible movie. Which is better than it has any right to be. Uh, <laughs> is, is a really great one to break down. Because it really is a great action movie. I have not seen it. But that sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, are those, you said there's not a lot of videos. Are they recent? Uh, they're spread out over the last few years. It's like okay. every six months they'll drop a video on there. And I, I mean, that means it's well put together, they're right? Put together. Uh, they, they're, it means they're motivated to do one, you know, like as opposed to like, oh, we got to put one out this week. I hate that. But there's one about like, you know, why Star Wars is great, you know, and, and, well, uh, actually, uh, uh, there's one about cinematography. It's a, it's a really, it's a really, well, I love a well thought out video essay about film and that's what this channel is. So I'll link that Mission Impossible one in the notes and you guys can check it out. Yeah. Sometimes I go on a rabbit hole on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. You can do it really easy. You, you know who thinks Star Wars, uh, is great. Okay. Not its fans. Anyway, uh... Wow. Real shade coming from that side of the room. That's right. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility, and it helps us grow the show. That's right. Another way to help us grow is to tell a friend. Uh, if you know anyone who could sell a giant bag of cocaine... And also our podcast. Uh, let us know. Oh, that was not my best. Uh, we'll take it. Um, yeah, if you uh, if you buy $200,000 worth of cocaine, you'll get this podcast for free. That's right. Don't don't ask people what they uh, pay for it. Cause... That's right. That's right. Austin, you got uh, the pick next week. What are we watching? That's right. I'm going to be forcing you to watch uh, the 2004 A Series of Unfortunate Events. All right. It's not a bad movie, but I it's it's very close to my heart. So uh, that's why I said forcing you to. I've seen it. I didn't hate it. Okay. Well, you're going to see it again. I have no attachment to the book, so I don't I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, Fair enough. Um. Cool. Uh, throw your social media out there. Tell oh. people where to find you. Uh, no one can find me anywhere. Wow. No, I am austin.n.rude and a bunch of other stuff. I don't know. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Go find me. All right. I, I don't have it written down right now. Well, I'm... That's, uh, that's fine. 
It'll be in the description. <laughs> I am at philrude.com. You can see all of our episode notes there, get links to our YouTube videos, um, and you can get links to all my social media. Oh, so you want to read the credits? Yep. We did everything ourselves. Well, there you have it. I'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya. This is Mouse. I'm Weens. <laughs> we have the Mouse and Weens podcast. I'm the mom that lives in suburbia with three kids. I'm Blalone. <laughs> She's the hot Hollywood cat lady. <laughs> and we have a fun podcast where we talk about life, love, and loneliness. <laughs> Pubic hair. Come oh, on. I'm sorry. We hope you come take a listen to us. We're on all the platforms, and we will see you soon. I have PMS. <laughs> Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and IWB Podcast on social media.